When you're facing a potentially cataclysmic situation, put yourself in position to receive a miracle and then go to work on it. That's an age-old remedy that seems to serve well. Much nearer 
Hi, Blue Water. As we head into Thanksgiving week and ramp up towards Christmas and the holiday season, um, we just have so much to be thankful for and so many exciting things to be praying about. Um, would you join with me as we pray for today and this week? Well, Father God, we do just give you all the thanks and praise um, for all the blessings you've put in our life, Lord. Um, we pray, God, that you would reveal to us um, the things that we should be working on. Uh, the things that, that you have planned for us in this next month. I just pray that all the busyness of the season would get washed away by your presence. Um, and we just speak out against the enemy and coming against all the exciting plans uh, that you have for our community um, this week and this month, Lord. I just pray that there would be so many celebrations happening um, and that you would be a part of all of them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Aloha Blue Water family. My name is Megan. I miss seeing all of your beautiful faces. So they asked me to share a testimony about Holy Spirit Retreat. Um, so I went really just hungry for the worship. Like I just have really missed being together corporately. Um, so thank you so much to the worship team. I just really felt like in being able to sing to Jesus with a group of our community I just felt like it was actively watering my soul as it was happening so that was so um, amazing and in terms of like what I feel like the Lord gave me during Holy Spirit retreat um, I'd been experiencing a lot of challenges at work and it seemed like it, they were escalating in the time leading up to Holy Spirit retreat which I think is probably pretty normal and um, I had just been like really angry and saying some really unkind things and gossiping and things like that and it was it was not good and I had already like been confessing to the Lord about that but just feeling pretty stuck and so um, during the baptism of the Holy Spirit time Jason came and prayed for me and he asked me if I had the gift of tongues and I've had it for a couple years but other than like if it maybe comes out in my time with the Lord or you know praying in agreement sometimes in worship like I didn't really know how to like grow in that and so it was really um, so I was like yeah I would love more of that he felt like the, the Lord was wanting to give me more and so as he was praying like it you know he was praying about like also like sanctifying like my mouth my tongue my vocal cords which is really um, 
special to me because I'm a speech pathologist and I work with people who um, have lost the ability to communicate effectively because of a stroke or vocal cord damage or things like that. And so I really kind of see that impact of like, if your, your words are taken away, your voice is taken away, like what that means and how often my, my words are really unredeemed and Jesus is working on me in that way. And so as we were like praying that sanctification and you know, all of that type of things. And he was asking for the Lord to pour out more of his spirit. I felt like the Lord gave me like a new tool um, in terms of using praying in tongues, praying in the spirit. And so I felt like he was inviting me like, okay, so when you go back to work, like a few minutes every morning, you know, spend time praying and blessing um, the people that you're struggling with, like in tongues, in the spirit. Um, and I had been wanting to do that, but I had just felt so stuck and being like, I don't have words for it. Like I want to be able to bless them, but I don't have words for it. And it was just this really great kindness from the Lord to be like, you don't need words. Like you can bless and you can bless them with your spirit. You can bless their spirit. So I've been doing that for the last few weeks or I guess a week and a half since Holy Spirit retreat. And it's been pretty amazing the way that things have started to shift in my spirit, but also um, seeing some things at work shift that I would have thought kind of impossible over, you know, a couple weeks ago. So it's been really encouraging if you're thinking about going to Holy Spirit Retreat in the future, either to have that experience for the first time or to even get go deeper in what the Lord has already been doing in you. I encourage you to do that. Love you guys. Blessings. Thank you, Megan, for sharing your experience from the Holy Spirit Retreat, which happened two weeks ago. Well, this morning we have one announcement, but before we get to that, let's continue our worship with our offering. And you can do that in two ways, online or just send your check via Smail Mail to the office. If you're new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give, but consider this worship service our offering. Hello? Hello? Uh-huh. Oh, oh, hello. Hi. Jesse and John. Okay. Didn't didn't expect that one. Yeah. Lovely. Um, makes me very happy. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Thank you guys. So wonderful. I mean, I did. Okay, second verse now. Second verse. I didn't. That's fun. <laughs> All right. That's, that's delicious. Mind having some hot cocoa with this? Maybe a little Hallmark movie. <laughs> you know, we could pick a better time to to, to come. Yeah. 
Every year, I think that they're not going to do a flash mob in somehow, even in the midst of a pandemic, they found me. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring well, you. Well, thank you. Uh, annual surprise Christmas flash mob, once again, um, bringing your cheer to the announcements. This year, our Christmas concert will be virtual, so we would love you to start thinking about virtual watch parties. It'll be online, and it is always a great chance to share the Christmas spirit, our love for Jesus in an artistic way through our gifts and talents. And also, we are calling any artists who would like to contribute anything visual, uh, whether it be a sculpture, a painting, a photo, to submit your work. As I was saying, we have one announcement this morning, and that is that later this evening, we will be having the worship night. It starts at 6.30 p.m. and it goes till 8 p.m. And this is exciting because we have not gotten to gather together physically since mid-March. Don't forget to please register, bring your mask, bring a chair to sit on, and bring your own water to drink. Uh, the doors will be opening at 6 p.m. for temperature checks, as well as um, uh, spacing. What a way to connect together for Thanksgiving. What a way to connect together for Thanksgiving week. Hey guys, guys. Hey, I'm uh, I'm rolling, I'm rolling, and I and if I can hear you, the camera can hear you. Oh, um, sorry about that. We're just really excited and trying to nail down this uh, the worship night. Everything's super perfect for tonight. You're just gonna have to give us a minute. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so. We got the yeah, entrance yeah, just here. Walk me through. The, you know what? Let's start over. Walk me through the whole thing again. All right. Yeah. Forget the trash can. Here we go. We'll work it out later. Um, so we got the entrance here. This is going to be the okay. entrance. We're going to have Julie here. Julie's going to be there. And have Julie this right is there. Julie. We're going to have Mindy nearby. Maybe Mindy in this area nearby, somewhere. But six feet apart. Six feet. Well, they have the mask on. It's okay. Uh, and then we're going to have Sani buckets all up and down the warehouse. Sani buckets. Sani buckets. Bad boys? Sani stations. Blue yeah. Mission, we'll put a little tape. on there right now. Okay. Thank okay, you. Okay. Right there. Just Don't to get into it. All right, so they're going to start here. They're going to come in, be greeted, take their temperature, register, hello, come in. They're going to walk down this hallway. This is half the warehouse that we're not using. It's going to be okay, blocked Okay, so this is off-limits? Off-limits. Okay, Don't I got even... the red pen. I feel like it should be... Cross that yeah, out. Like that. Cross this? that oh, out. This is weak. Yeah, goodbye. This is weak. Weak like off-limits. I'll keep working on this. Okay, so then they're going to come down this hallway. The bathroom is going to be here on the right, okay? Okay, on the right. The toilet will be about here. You want to put a marker for that toilet? Okay, yeah, let me get that. Looks like a toilet. Thank you very much. Okay, yep. then we got the main area here. We got the band is going to be here. Okay, the so band that's is going to be here. Gonna be. Here's where the band is going to be. Okay, you can be orange. Sprinkled out here sprinkle, in this area. Sprinkle some bands. Just like a delicious garnish, right? Okay. We got some stuff back here. Don't worry about the stuff. Wait, wait, time out. Time out. What is stuff? You just, just labeled it stuff. I know, it's just, it doesn't matter. It's just stuff. No, it's but not why ours, would you make someone... a, a label that says stuff? Well, in case we need, actually need to know where the stuff is. Antonio, what do you think about that? That sounds great. 
Uh, protocols will be in place and we'll take every precaution. So please uh, register, bring a mask, and bring your stuff. All right, kids, stand up. Let's pray for you. We thank you for our children, Lord. We thank you for the ways in which they teach us about the kingdom. Uh, we pray uh, for safety in these days, and we pray for a deep connection with you. Bless them with your presence. And in Jesus' name we pray. Hey, Julie? Yeah. I have a question. Okay. Amen. I had a dream a couple years back, and it was actually during one of the Holy Spirit conferences, like after like Friday night. Um, and then I had it interpreted at the Holy Spirit conference. And it was a pretty like detailed dream, um, but the interpretation of it like really confirmed the work that I was doing and like the purpose and calling within that work. Um, so it was just like a big encouragement for me to like continue doing the work I was doing. Um, and that that was not just like something I could do, but like actually something that was just within God's purpose for me. So I like think about that often when I feel discouraged at the work I do. <laughs> so dreams very much self-shape my life. Um, it's, sometimes it's used as like a, a warning, like you need to correct this behavior or be careful this may happen or um, be cognizant of this. And then other times it's, um, it lets me know like God is letting me know that like I'm on the right path. Like I'll have dreams that I'm being anointed or something like that. And um, sometimes I think it's even used to like draw me nearer. Like it'll be more symbolic where I have to spend more time in prayer. And so definitely, I definitely feel like it does affect my life on a, a regular, if not daily basis. Dreams have been huge in my life. Dreams are the reason why I started Justice Ministry. So before I ever even knew what human trafficking was, God was giving me dreams and um, about it. And I'm seeing people basically being trafficked, but not knowing what it was. And my dreams went on for like a year and a half, almost two years. And I talked to Jordan and he suggested I, you know, ask God some specific questions. And I did. And once I did that and I listened to God and I felt like I got that answer from him of what the dreams were and why he was giving me the dreams and, and spurred me into action, then the dreams basically stopped. We're in a sermon series on the book of Daniel. Uh, we started last week. Daniel's situation is this. Uh, he's a Jewish guy that has been taken captive uh, by a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he's been taken to the city of Babylon. And there he and his friends have been sort of, you might say, culturally raped. They've just been stripped of all parts of their identity. They have even been renamed after foreign gods. They are recruited into service in the palace, which probably means that they were made eunuchs. They were castrated, so they were even robbed of their family legacy and stuff like that. But then they are offered a way out. They're given a Babylonian education. Uh, unfortunately, it involves being co-opted into the ways of Babylon. Uh, a lot of the book of Daniel is about how to live according to God's ways 
in a worldly system dedicated to very different ways. It's about how to live righteously in the midst of Babylon. Over the years, the name Babylon has attained symbolic value, not just in Christendom, but in Western culture uh, generally. It's come to represent what you might call the system of wickedness in the world, something like that. Uh, Babylon, in that sense, is always trying to violate the people of God. It's always trying to ruin us and to co-opt us by offering us sweet little deals and sweet little comforts. Babylon makes you feel bad for being a a godly person. Uh, It accuses you of being thick-headed or mean-spirited, tempts you to feel ashamed for godliness, while at the same time it sort of tempts you to, to buy in. It promises you acceptance or advancement or influence if you just play along with Babylon. Can I just say, for what it's worth, uh, Babylon stinks. Babylon sucks uh, for myself. I stand against Babylon uh, in the world. I'm just having that kind of month, you know? You just got to stand against Babylon and all of its false promises. I stand against its accusations and its temptations and you know, Babylon just stinks through and through. It's always a horror. It's always bad, even when it pretends to be good. I stand against it. I just felt like saying that. Anyway, when last we saw Daniel and his friends in chapter 1, they were refusing to rationalize away their holiness. Uh, they were uh, rejecting false deliverances that in the end would have just made them more worldly people. They drew lines. They drew lines in their morality. They drew lines in their behavior that preserved their distinctness for God. It's a very important principle. And now in chapter 2, we pick up the story, and the story opens with Daniel and his friends being sentenced to death for a situation that was not of their making. So let's read through chapter 2. I want to do the whole chapter, but I will skip a few verses uh, just so it's not too terribly long. Uh, It's a story, so hopefully it will read pretty fast. Uh, Taking it from the top of Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers, all the wise men, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and then we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. So he's not going to tell them what the dream was. He's going to make them reveal what the dream was and then interpret it. That's the situation. Picking it up a little later in verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. 
No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king angry and furious, so he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Moody much? So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death, because Daniel and his friends are now part of the ranks of the wise men in Babylon. When Arioch, the commander of the king guard, <coughs> king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, what did the king, why did the king decree such a harsh, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning the mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. I'm skipping down to verse 29. Daniel goes in before the king and he gives him this explanation. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than any other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation, and that you may understand what went through your mind. Very diplomatic way for Daniel to say it. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue. Try to follow this symbolism. <clears throat> a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. It is a it's an impressive rock. Well, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. That would be the silver bit. Next, a third kingdom, kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. 
yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than the iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, in the time of this last kingdom he's describing, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kings, kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great king, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. In the rest of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, he falls prostrate before Daniel and celebrates him, gives him riches and a promotion. All the wise men get saved. Daniel and his friends get saved and promoted. And that's the story. That was a long one. Shake it off. I hope you were able to follow it. Cool story. Cool story about dream interpretation, about dream revelation indeed. You like it? dreams. Uh, so let's just go through it quickly. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He wants it interpreted. The courts of Babylon were actually pretty famous for dream interpretations. Their wise men would keep encyclopedias of dream symbols so they could go through it and come up with interpretations. So this was a fairly common thing. But Nebuchadnezzar is really bothered by this dream that he has. It, you could tell it's really haunting him. Have you ever had a dream like that? You felt that it was just different. It was really spiritual. It sort of haunted you. Maybe you couldn't understand it, but you know you were supposed to. Really a big deal for him. And so now he craves authenticity with respect to his dream. You get the impression that Nebuchadnezzar was a guy that didn't mind people sucking up to him, didn't mind the wise men flattering him and coming up with things that were nice to hear but maybe weren't exactly true. But this time, this dream has freaked him out a little bit, so he's done with that. It's like, this time I want it to be authentic, guys. Unfortunately, he comes up with a severe way to get an authentic interpretation, which is he refuses to even tell the wise men what the dream is and forces them to start from scratch so that if he gets the interpretation, then he knows it's a true and authentic interpretation. Sometimes even the worst people get tired of being fake. You know what I mean? And, uh, and when they do, it's not always pretty when immature humans suddenly decide uh, they like truth for a while, um, they often pursue it in immature ways. They uh, freak out and force the issue. Maybe, maybe you know some examples of pretty dishonorable people that suddenly will demand honorable conduct from everyone around them, and that hardly ever turns out well. Well, that's what's going on here. It's the situation, a lot of drama and extremity and unfairness uh, in the king's uh, request. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever had to face down death, anyone? Because the king basically issues a death sentence uh, 
as a threat to motivate uh, uh, his crew. Uh, maybe you haven't faced death literally. I know some of you have. Uh, but maybe you face disaster in life, some sort of true cataclysm. And when that's the situation, it affects you, doesn't it? I mean, it, it clarifies things in, in a way. Um, and it gets very emotional very fast. The whole crew of wise men, the whole institution of wisdom uh, freaks out in front of the king and they just erupt in hopelessness. Oh king, this is unfair. No one's ever done this before. Everybody says this is unfair and unjust. They didn't have social media back then, but if they had social media, everyone on social media uh, would have been complaining about the unfairness, the injustice of the king. The whole momentum of the group was all about hopelessness. Um, but then there were some godly guys in the middle of it. There's Daniel and his friends. And if you're a godly guy, what do you do in the face of this sort of cataclysm? Well, you put yourself in position to see a miracle, and then you go to work on it. That's what they did. And for Daniel, that meant first he bought himself a little time. He kind of goes into the king. He says, give me a second, and I'll figure this out for you. And then he prays. He gets together with his friends, and he prays. And presumably, he then listens to the Lord. I don't know exactly what that meant for him and what his practice of listening was. Sometime during the night, maybe he had a dream that revealed the king's dream. And then he interpreted it upon waking, something like that. But he was practical and mystical. I said last week that Daniel's kind of a practical mystic. He did, he did the work. He did the miracle work in a very practical way uh, in this story. Put himself in a position uh, to get the miracle. One thing I want to note, just to stress in the middle of this account, there is no possibility for faking here, right? And that's what makes the story so extreme. The king has constructed it in such a way that the revelation has to be miraculous. It has to be from God. Uh, it really, truly has to be supernatural. And when you need for spiritual things to not be fake, what a luxury to know that you haven't been faking your spiritual life. And Daniel and the guys know that they're not folks who fake it. They establish that in chapter 1, you may recall. They know that they've made an honest effort to live uprightly in the midst of Babylon. Um, and that's a great testimony to their own spirits. They know they're authentic believers. And I think somehow that prepares them to pursue an authentic miracle, if you know what I'm saying. And so uh, Daniel seeks the miracle with his buddies. Consider what he might have done instead, though, because, again, this is a very ominous situation that he faces. He could have instead just cursed the corrupt system like the rest of the wise men were doing. He could have cursed God for sticking him and his people in such a wretched situation to begin with. Or maybe he could have prayed but instead of praying for a miraculous revelation, maybe he could have prayed, oh, I don't know, for the death of Nebuchadnezzar or something like that, because that would have been emotionally satisfying. Um, but he does none of those things. Instead, he puts himself in position to get the miracle, and somehow the dream is revealed to him. The interpretation comes to him. He saves himself. He saves everyone else. 
He gets honor. It's a happy story. Um, snaps for Daniel. Come on, give me something. Cool story. And then there's the prophecy itself. Um, and uh, we're going to study some of Daniel's epic prophecies more deeply later in the sermon series. But this one is, is pretty cool. Uh, basically, get the, uh, his prophetic interpretation of the dream, that is. It's kind of Nebuchadnezzar's prophecy in a way. But you got the head of gold, uh, chest of silver, sort of midsection of bronze, and then lower extremities of iron mixed with clay. There's some division in it. And everybody agrees who reads this that what this prophecy is about is that the four kingdoms that succeeded in that um, area of the world between 600 BC, when this story is happening, and the time of Christ. At the end of the prophecy, there's this prophecy of a great rock, not shaped by the hands of man, that grows to be an eternal kingdom. Okay, so who's the rock? Jesus. Good. You guys are good staffers. Uh, obviously, this is about Christ. In fact, it's sort of reminiscent of other Christic prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the kingdom that is not temporary, right? The kingdom that stretches into eternity, that could only be about Jesus. So obviously, it, it's, it's, it feels like a Christian prophecy in the end. But there's no way that Christians wrote the book of Daniel. As I mentioned last week, um, there's some controversy about how the book of Daniel came together because it feels like a compendium. Part of it is written uh, in Aramaic, part of it in different languages. Uh, part of it is written in third person about Daniel. Part of it is written in first person, apparently from Daniel himself. Uh, what it is is probably a collection of stories, some of which were from the courts of Babylon because obviously Daniel became a very prominent person in Babylon and they were chroniclers. So probably Babylonians wrote about Daniel and then those stories were included in what has come to be known in the book of Daniel. The Persian courts probably did the same thing and then you get some of Daniel's own journal entries, so to speak. Critics say that somewhere between 100 and 200 BC, some Jewish leaders, some Jewish religious leaders, got hold of the manuscript of Daniel and added these prophecies into it because they seem so historically accurate, they don't believe that these things could have been predicted. Here's what the prediction is. You got Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, and then would come a silver kingdom. Well, people um, say that that's the Persian Empire that would follow Nebuchadnezzar. And then you have the bronze kingdom, which would come a little later. People say that that's the kingdom of the Greeks, you know, Alexander the Great. And then would come the Iron Kingdom that was divided in its end. Well, that's Rome, sort of unmistakably. Roman iron. It would be the most diverse kingdom, but it would end up being divided as Rome was divided east and west. So it's eerily precise. And those were the only great kingdoms in this region of the world between Daniel and Christ. And then it says, in the time of the last kingdom, the Roman kingdom, this eternal kingdom would be born, right? This great eternal king would be born. Well, who was born at the height of the Roman kingdom? Jesus, obviously. So it's just a really eerie, precise prophecy. Christian at its end, but whatever the scholars say, whoever the scholars say wrote it, 
Nobody says the Christians wrote it. You know what I'm saying? So this could not have been faked for the sake of Christ, and yet it serves the sake of Christ. All of that to say, as Daniel was an authentic believer, I think the prophecies in the book of Daniel are authentic enough to believe. Um, they're sort of inexplicable on their own. One thing I want to say to finish on the passage, um, although it sounds like Daniel was fairly certain that he'd gotten the revelation, he'd gotten the dream, and that he had the correct interpretation, he still had to go for it. Right? At the end of all of this, he still had to walk before the king and says, oh, I know what your dream was, and I can interpret it in a way that's going to feel really authentic to you. And imagine what that moment was like. He walks before the king. If he had gotten it wrong, right? If he had said, this is what you dreamed, and the king said, no, no, it was a little bit different, what would have happened? Probably Daniel would have been immediately killed. All right, so however cool you are, when you walk into a situ situation like that, it's going to feel fearsome, right? So even at the end is what I'm saying. Daniel had to be bold. He had to finish boldly. Uh, it might look effortless when you read the account in Daniel chapter 2, but it would have been quite a moment for him. Um, it would have affected him, I think. In life, there's always reason to be afraid right up until the moment there's not. Um, you don't get to feel safe and certain and then pursue the miracle. That's not how it works, right? You pursue the miracle in the midst of the threat, in the midst of the uncertainty. Are you following me? You following me? And I just think that's a decent lesson to pull out of this story. Whenever I read Daniel chapter 2, I can't help but think of an episode uh, from uh, my life. Uh, this was, uh, my gosh, I was like 18 years old. This was my first year in college. I was living in a dorm, and I'd made friends with a guy on, on the, along the hallway uh, who was a, a very passionate atheist. And so we would have these conversations, these debates, sometimes in front of other people in the dormitory. You know, I was kind of pro-God, and he was kind of not pro-God. And, you know, we were friends. We liked each other. We had a lot of things in common. Really cool guy. And then Christmas break, my freshman year, he went skiing and had a terrible accident and broke his neck and became a quadriplegic. Uh, and uh, I heard about it when I got back from Christmas break. He was put into a rehab hospital, and it was touch and go for him whether or not uh, he would live. And I got this phone call from him. He could not speak super well, but I got this phone call from him uh, one day. Uh, and he said, Jordan, I've had this dream. Let me tell it to you. And he told me this dream. It was about this strange angelic figure that came and sort of put breath into his body. Um, and I was 18 years old. I hadn't interpreted a lot of dreams. I didn't quite know what to do. But I said, uh, well, he, he for some reason felt like I was the guy to call about this dream. And I said, well, well Cam, I'll get back to you. I'll come see you tomorrow at the rehab hospital. And then I shared with my friends. Uh, Sonia was one of my friends. Uh, from the dormitory, and we had another buddy there, uh, a guy named Forrest, 
uh, and John was my other friend. We all got together. So it was just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, we all got together. Um, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were the Hebrew names. And I'll never forget, Forrest, my buddy, said, uh, well, I don't know what the dream means either, but let's do what they did in Daniel. Let's pray, and then tonight God will give you the interpretation, Jordan, and then you can go visit him tomorrow. And so they prayed for me, and what happened was that night I had a dream uh, that kind of figured, that Cam, my paralyzed friend, figured into it, and I understood that dream, and I went to the rehab hospital the next day, and I shared the dream that I had had for Cam. It helped me interpret the dream he had. Anyway, long story short, that kind of led to him accepting the Lord and starting a journey of faith and a spiritual journey in his own life. He survived, um, and I would room with him the next year, actually, helping him with life on campus as a quadriplegic. The reason I share that little episode is because it just typifies for me what a great model Daniel is for life. You know, when you're confronted with these strange spiritual mysteries, do what he did. Just got together with his buddies, you know, prayed, you know, and Forrest, my friend, was mindful of this. He had read the book of Daniel. Let's do what Daniel did. He's a practical mystic. He's so emulatable in life. Whatever the problem is, you take practical steps and put yourself in position to receive the miracle. You never know what might happen. It might lead to life, to salvation. Um, So let's go back and just touch on the practical principle of the story here that we've read in chapter 2. Put yourself in position to see a miracle and then go to work on it. How do you do that? How do you put yourself in position to receive a miracle? Okay, step one. Prepare by practicing the ways of God authentically in your life so that your faith is ready, so that your faith is authentic when it comes time to pursue an authentic miracle. It helps to live uprightly, right, so that you're ready when the moment comes. Step two, when facing a grim situation, don't freak out. Don't erupt with hopelessness like the rest of the world. The first thing you need to conquer is always fear. Step three, act as if the miracle could actually happen. Act as if it could happen. Don't assume there won't be a miracle. Take action uh, that might lead to a miracle. You know, if nothing else, pray for one, which is what Daniel and his buddies did. Everybody else in the story in chapter 2, acted as if the situation were impossible. Daniel and the guys acted as if the situation were possible with God. Right? Everyone was in crisis. Only the men of God went to work on a solution because they thought a miracle might happen. That was was the difference. Uh, The solution required a miracle, They went to work on getting the miracle. Sometimes miracles take a little practical positioning. So in short, if I were going to sort of summarize the lesson, I would say cooperate with God on your deliverance, even if it requires a miracle. 
Incidentally, miracles happen sometimes. You never know. That's our privilege as people of God. Um, a lot of us right now are probably facing potential cataclysms because it's been kind of a grim time in the world. It's been sort of an unprecedented time. Um, a lot of us are probably facing financial cataclysm. You might be facing a financial disaster right now or very shortly. What should you do? Well, Daniel is so emulatable, you know? Maybe you should buy time as best you can. Then, I don't know, pray. Pray with your friends. Seek blessing from God, even if you can't imagine a solution short of a miracle. Uh, be practical and be mystical at the same time. Be as faithful as you can with whatever little bit you have right now so that you're in a good, authentic position to see financial breakthrough when you really need it. Seems like a lesson right off the pages of the book of Daniel. Uh, it's been a crazy year, right? So for a lot of us, we've had our dreams shattered by events of this past year. All your plans out the window. What should you do? Well, number one, don't freak out. Uh, number two, don't assume a miracle can't happen. Act as if a miracle can happen. Get to work on it on whatever ways, in, in whatever way seems good to you. you know, your previous plans in life may well have been destroyed. But there is a path forward. The scripture says, that the Lord restores the years the locusts have eaten. Disaster may have befallen you, but the Lord has a way of restoring the year that was lost. For a lot of us, this was a lost year. The Lord can restore that, maybe even miraculously. Maybe doors will just be flung open that you never imagined. Act as if that's possible. A few of us out there today maybe feel as if we're facing the end of all things. We just find ourselves in a position where it's all a dead end, you know? Um, maybe it's partly because our situation is so dire, practically speaking, or maybe in part it's because there's such a heavy spirit in the world right now. You know, uh, the world has been so fearful and so chaotic and so angry and now it's so tired that that sort of thing can seep into your bones. And that combined with a personally tough situation might make you feel entirely deflated. And you might be tempted right now to, to give in to death like most of the wise men in Babylon did. You know, maybe not literally. Maybe you're not going to literally give in to death, although maybe some of you out there are thinking about it because things seem so grim and so dead-ended. Uh, but maybe you're just flirting with the death of your faith, you know? Maybe you're flirting with the idea of giving up on God. 
Or maybe you're at least flirting with the idea of giving up on seeking help from God because you just tuckered out, you know? I totally get that. I've totally been there. Um, but you know, you don't have to give up. You could instead put yourself in position to get a miracle. You know, you could act as if a miracle could happen. Uh, you could give it a little time first. Just give yourself a little time. Uh, and then get your friends together and pray together. Maybe keep praying together. Then check in with God and, and see what might transpire for you. Maybe he'll give you revelation or maybe he'll give you some sort of practical deliverance. And then maybe you could just finish with some sort of bold action in the face of fear. All I'm saying is, you don't have to give up. So Father God, I pray that you would visit upon us and all who are listening today, the spirit of Daniel, the spirit of practical mystic. Let us be people who believe in miracles, who believe that God makes the way in the midst of the most intense chaos, the most intense hopelessness. God can always provide a creative victory. And then just inspire us individually and together to be practical about pursuing it, to do whatever it is that we can figure out to do that puts us in a position of expectation, a position where we look to you for something authentically supernatural that cannot be faked, something that could only come from God but which is really needed. That's what authentic people of faith do. That's what Christians do when they live in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of terror, in the midst of temptation. We put ourselves in a position to expect true deliverance from a true God. Uh, be blessed, brothers and sisters, in the midst of it all, in Jesus' name, amen. That was another great sermon from Jordan. Um, and something that I really love from that, and he's mentioned in other sermons that I really take away, is um, praying as if you're expecting that a miracle can happen today. And for me, in my own personal quiet times and prayer times with the Lord, that's really shifted the way that I pray from just telling God what I need to... Um, expecting that something can happen, expecting that he is going to work in my life today. Um, so if you're someone who's feeling like you need a little bit of uh, faith encouragement and you need someone to pray with you, um, please email Julie at bluewatermission.org um, today and she will play, pray with you or someone else will be able to get back to you and pray with you during that time if you feel like you need that extra boost. Um, yeah, and let me just pray for you for the rest of your week then, and I hope to see you at the worship night tonight as well. 
Um, so Jesus, I just thank you so much for everybody in the church. Um, and I pray that we could all come to you in that way of expecting a miracle to happen, expecting that you want to show up in our daily life, no matter what's going on in our week, no matter what kind of chaos is happening, whether it's due to coronavirus or relationships or anything else. Um, but I just pray that we, we would take that faith position in our prayer and really be able to seek you and believe that you are going to show up for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.